with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I'd ever, ever done in his arms. tonight. Amen. Amen. He's the most precious thing that's ever happened. Amen. We always want to remember that. That's why we're here tonight. We want to welcome you to the service. Good to be here. We've got a uh, number of things tonight. We've got the word. Brother Andrew is going to bring us a little message before the communion. We'll have the communion. We'll have the foot washing. And then after that, we'll have a baptism. And tonight we have Brother Landon Dodd going to be baptized. Amen. We're looking Amen. forward to that. Amen. I appreciate the specials. Sister Elisa, she sent me those words. I, there's a lot of inspiration and they're very gifted to be able to do and write those things and sing those things. So God bless you. We have many times more than we realize amongst ourselves. There's different ones and we don't understand. We don't always know each other maybe the way we should, but there's more behind everyone. And that day, everybody will have a story. Another sister had, that I've always appreciated the way she pens things and writes things and gets inspired, shared this with me. And uh, it was last year she'd penned it, but I just want to share it. It says, if you come into the trial of your life, don't consider how you will navigate it. Just walk. Angels will take their places beside you and guide you. Trust as a child and project the courage of a warrior. Trials are no indicator that you have done wrong. Yeah. It says, God has found you worthy, so rejoice. Love much. Remove unbelief from your life. Make prayer and those who pray with you the anchor of your storm. Stay humble, be sincere, and God will do the impossible. Watch nature.
This is how God speaks. Remember, nature evolves quietly. The transformation of a butterfly is silent and yet produces an exquisite creature. Walk with God and the most beautiful love story will unfold. You are more than his child. You are his bride and his eye is always upon you. Amen. God bless you. We appreciate all of these things. They're precious. And as I said, you look at a song, you look at a poem, you look at all of these things that are written. There's a story behind every life. Amen. We want to appreciate the Lord tonight. We want to appreciate one another. I will uh, be deferring the service to Brother Andrew for the word, and then I'll administer the communion, and then we'll have the foot washing after I'll do the baptism. So we've got a lot going on. I want to do one more quick thing before we start. I'm just going to ask our ministers to come up here for a moment. I'd just like to have prayer before I leave. This will be the last service I'm with you before I leave on Tuesday. So if you can come, Brother Moses, Brother Max, Brother John, if you can come quickly, I'd just like to have a word of prayer together on my behalf. I'd like you to join in. And I'd value your prayers not just now, but I'd value them as we travel in the next two weeks. We're going into places where we need the wisdom of God more than I have myself. But we want the Spirit of God. We want Him. Come up. Let's come up front, brothers. We have the communion down here. We'll just do it up here. And I'd like them all to come around and pray. We're going to have a word of prayer together. Brother Andrew, if you can lead us in prayer today. Let's just bow our heads today. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we want to gather around our precious pastor, Lord, as a body of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we are not just a group of people, Lord, but, Father, we are your bride. And, Lord Jesus, when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice, Lord. When one is departed from us, Lord, we miss them in our presence, Father. But, Lord, we ask, O oh God, Lord, for Brother Ed now as he go to minister, Lord, to the saints, Lord, that you've called in another part of the world. Lord, as I was reading this afternoon, Lord, the Macedonian call, Lord, how Paul prayed and he saw a vision, Lord, of a Macedonian man who was calling, saying, come and help us. Lord, I believe, oh God, there's believers over there, Lord, that have received books, Lord, and have received help, Lord, from this body, Lord, that have received, Lord Jesus. But Lord, they're looking to you, Lord, and praying, Father, would you send a, an ambassador, Lord, to come and minister the word. Father, I pray you go before Brother Ed, Lord. Keep him, Lord Jesus. Lord, may you give him the hearts and minds of the people, Lord, as he would minister. May it minister grace unto the hearer, Lord Jesus. Further, oh God, the people, Lord, and I pray, oh God, that there be a deeper grounding and rooting, oh God, of the word in their lives, Lord. Use his ministry, the gift you place in his life. Pray you'd watch over and bring him back again if you tarry, Father. Bring him safely back home. Be with his family, Lord, that's here without him, Father. Sister Sandy, Lord, each one, Father, I pray you just be with them. Comfort, keep each one, we ask, Lord. We love you. Lord, more than anything, we need the anointing of your Holy Spirit to go upon our brother. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers. God bless you. Amen. Amen. We depend on that. And uh, as I said, I don't go of myself. I go with all of you. So I just would appreciate that. As we just change the order and our um, brother Andrew comes, let's just sing, I feel the pull, I feel the pull. Thank you. 
I feel the pull. I hear the call. And God's Spirit's moving me to keep my own. He speaks to Father, Lord, as we just bow our heads once more in your presence, Lord. Father, we just come to this part of the service, Lord, that we ask that you would come and take complete control. Lord, as we've sang these words, these aren't just nice words, Lord, but there's something in each one of us, Lord, that's a deep calling out, Lord. We know there's a deep to respond, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray, oh God, that you just come, Lord, and break the bread of life again to us, Lord. Help me just to get aside that you could... Just come and bring us into your presence, Lord, that as we approach the communion table, Lord, it's precious to us, Lord. But, Father, we want to get all our own thoughts aside and come in one mind, in one accord, Lord. And, Lord, as you were here and you would break bread, and as you said, take this cup, Lord. But, Father, Lord Jesus, we just want to be a partaker of all that you have for us, Lord. We ask that you come, Lord, now. Take these simple thoughts we have. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, musicians. God bless you. Let's take our Bibles together. Turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. We'll also turn to Genesis chapter 14. It's good to be in the house of the Lord again tonight. It's it's always especially good on a night like tonight. Something about just approaching the Lord's table and being a partaker of these ordinances, it's, it's precious and very special in the hearts of a believer. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, I think we can all just read it together. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. Let's let's turn over to Genesis chapter 14, short portion here in verse 18. 
after Abraham had gone out and rescued and fought against the five, against the kings that were there and had victory, rescued his nephew Lot, and he's coming back. Verse 18 says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes. Abraham gave him tithes of all. Amen. May the Lord have blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Amen. Amen. I just, in taking this, I want to, if I could take a title tonight, and I will, will try and remain short, but the representation of atonement in communion, and we'll just maybe center our thoughts around communion tonight and, and uh, bring us into this atmosphere if we could. But as we read the scriptures, it's very familiar to all of us. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There has to be something happen. As we know, we are baptized by one spirit. We are baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. And to those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There's conviction, but there's no condemnation. There is no, nothing within you that is there to condemn you because you have been purged from sin by Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice that was made once and for all. But now if we take just a, a large step back into Genesis chapter 14 and we would read about the first time that communion was ever served as Melchizedek came down and he began to serve communion to Abraham and we notice the timing of it that this was right after Abraham got the victory. Abraham got the victory over these kings and he had victory over um, what, what, was, what was plaguing these things and what had conquered Sodom and had taken his nephew as hostage and had done all these things. But God had allowed Abraham to go down with his trained servants, just a few against many, and have victory. But it was after victory that God came down, Melchizedek came down, and the king of Salem and served communion to Abraham. And with this, there came a revelation in Abraham's heart that he ought to give a tithe, a tenth of all that he had. There was something, in other words, there was a communion that went on. The communion requires more than one person. It requires two people. In other words, it requires you and God. It requires, there has to be something to talk to and something to talk back. There has to be one to reach out and one to receive. And there has to be a, a communion or a fellowship together in which God would come down and Melchizedek then would have fellowship over bread and over wine with Abraham and serve it to him after the victory. Amen. And as, as Abraham got this victory that came with something that he wasn't expecting it. He wasn't expecting it to be this way, but he had to fight a battle and he had to overcome something in order to get to this place. It wasn't easy. It wasn't just something that just happened chance and he was just waiting there, but rather it was after he had gone out and he had done something and he had battled and he had fought and he had overcome. That now God come and met with him and began to have fellowship with him. And I want to say for each of us in our lives, there is a battle that is ongoing. There's a war within our minds that Brother Branham would call the greatest battle ever fought. And that's nothing that's new to any of us, but we all have to overcome the greatest enemy that we have. And that is ourselves. 
Hallelujah. It's not the devil. It's us. He's a bluff. We're the ones that convince ourselves that his words are right. He's just a bluff. He's just throwing mud at a wall hoping it sticks. But we're the ones that are the greatest enemy. We're tripping over ourselves, getting in our own way, not sure where to go. But Abram even had to overcome himself and had to recognize this isn't me that can overcome this great enemy. It's going to take the power of God. It's going to take God to help to come and intervene. And he did the best he could and God gave him the victory. And God came down and celebrated with him. Amen. And we find here that that we need to be able to overcome ourselves. We need to be able to come and then overcome the things that we're battling. How do we overcome it? We surrender it. We can't overcome the enemy on our own selves. We can't even overcome our own selves. You've got all kinds of self-help programs out there and different things that can maybe help you become a better person. But in all of it, they lapse and they relapse and they can't seem to help and they, they, they need something extra to maybe get above and beyond. But with God, it's a complete change. There's a complete overcoming. There's a complete renewing. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Well, you're no longer who you once were, but you've changed from, from a man that was a man of sin and you've changed to an individual that now it's not you that lives, but it's Christ that lives in you. That is a complete victory. Amen. And we'd find that even if we go over in the Bible to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. To purge our conscience from dead works. To purge, it means to cleanse or purify by separating and carrying off whatever is impure and heterogeneous, foreign, or superfluous. It means to clear from guilt or moral defilement. Purge your conscience in this way. Purge your conscience in this way. This is what the blood of Jesus does. It's not a covering. That was bulls and goats. The blood of Jesus is a complete purging. It completely clears your conscience. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. It's not just a better way of life. It's not mind over matter. It's not just a nice feeling. It's not warm and fuzzy. It's not chills down the back. It's not a cold breeze through your body. Those things are fine. Those are maybe, maybe outward ex- expressions of something. But this goes so much greater to the fact where it purges you of any guilt. The blood of Jesus, I just want to say tonight, it purges you to a place where you don't have a conscience to sin anymore. Amen. It clears you from accusation or a charge of crime. It's to remove what is offensive. Hallelujah. It removes the blood of Jesus. Purge our conscience so we can serve the living God. Hallelujah. In Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15, if you've stood out your Bibles there in verse 7, Brother Red read a part of it this morning, but it says, And he said unto him, 
I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee the land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now, now remember, this is verse chapter 14. He wins the victory. He gets communion and he gives a tithe. And, and he so had overcome himself that he begins to look at it. If you look at the next verses in chapter 14, when the king of Sodom comes and says, you know, you, you really, you've, you've conquered. You deserve to have some of the spoil. And he says, no, I, I don't want any of it. This is not what this war is about. This is about coming and getting back what's mine. This is about my brother, my sister. This is about living for others. This is about God moving on my heart to do what's right. And now in the next chapter, he comes down and he says this. And, and, he, and in verse, and in, oh my, I, sorry, I just have to back up again. This, this war that he fought, it wasn't about himself. It was about the fact that something had come on the land that God had promised him and taken something that God had promised him. Hallelujah. Satan's a bluff. But he wants to constantly come on your ground. And take something that belongs to you. He wants to constantly come to take in your mind. To take your joy. To take your peace. To take your salvation even. To take your faith away. To say you don't have the faith. You can't access God anymore. You can't do this. He's waging a war. But I want to encourage you tonight. God is desiring you to have the confidence in him. To know that, 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 that I've met Jesus Christ and I know that I could overcome even myself what Satan keeps putting on me and putting on me and putting on me. That's not me. I'm who he said I am. Amen. So now in, in chapter 15, now we come to this, this, this part where now Abraham is even battling within himself again saying, but I don't have an heir. I don't have one. God, you've promised me you'd give this to my seed, and my seed would be as the stars in heaven, as the sand upon the seashore, but I don't have an heir. And now the Lord says unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And we know, and I'll just maybe jump ahead for a second, that this is where God confirmed the covenant to Abraham. And as he's looking at it, he watched the question. He says, how shall I know? In other words, I'm not interested in just give me a nice feeling. I'm not interested in just somebody tell me, but I need to know. I need to have something that precludes all doubt. In other words, that even if somebody were to come to me and present me something else, I know, God, that you know that I know that this is what's going to happen. That the words that you've spoken of me are yea and amen. He was asking for a confirmation of the promise. Because he'd already, God had already made the promise to Abraham. He'd already spoken the words and made the promise, but he was looking for something to confirm the promise. Amen. He'd already said, I'll give it to you, but now he's going to give us, to sign it, to prove how he's going to do it. So Abraham done all these things and he watched the sacrifices. So we read down and you'll find in this chapter that, well, let's, let's just read it. Sorry, I, I should slow down a little bit. Amen. Thank you. I'm moving at 100 miles an hour and I feel like I'm towing you. Your, the tow rope's getting longer. <laughs> slow down, let you catch up. Genesis chapter 15. Let's read it. It says, and he took... And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece, one against another. But the birds divided he not. 
And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a, a stranger in a, in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward will, I come, will they come out with a great substance, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation... They shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So think on this, as God is, is saying these words and speaking to Abram in these ways, there's a great darkness upon him. It's not that he's seeing this in vision, but there's a darkness upon Abram. He's fallen down in this way, and he's spent all day keeping the birds off of the sacrifice. And then he's made it just the way that God said it. And now he's come to a place where it's him and God alone. And God begins to speak to him in this way, and it says, And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now this, he said, Brother Branham says he's going to confirm in Abraham's grace covenant. He says he's going to confirm the covenant to Abraham or sign the contract with him, Brother Branham calls it. He's already told him, I'll give it to you. That's the promise. But now he's going to sign it and prove how he's going to do it. How did he do it? He said, make a sacrifice. Lay it out just this way. It was an atonement sacrifice. He said, just lay it out just this way and put it this, this side and that side and divide this. But the birds don't divide the birds. And he caused this deep darkness, this deep sleep to fall upon Abraham and he says, and he watched, Abraham done all these things, and he watched the sacrifices, kept the bird until the sun goes down. He says, the sacrifice is not to be contaminated. You know, he says, so he kept the birds off till the sun went down. When the sun went down, he says, a deep, horrible darkness or sleep fell on Abraham. He says, that represents death to every man. And before him was a smoking furnace. Every sinner deserves to go to hell. But beyond that went a little white light. See, every man dies the death of separation, and hell is his doom. Every man has to die at some point in time. Whether you die out to yourself and become alive to Christ, and you receive his Holy Spirit in which you can no more die than God can die, amen, or whether you wait until the end and you die and you've got to come to judgment one day, there's going to be death upon every man one day. But rather, he says, everyone comes to that, and every sinner deserves that smoking furnace, deserves that hell that comes and passed through it. And hell tried to take it, but there was a sacrifice there because afterward came a burning lamp. Afterward came a white light, which was God coming down between the sacrifice. He says, they went in between those sacrifices, in between the goat and the heifer, the ram. He took and he went in between them and confirmed to Abraham what he was going to do. Hallelujah. Confirmed it. I'm not going to spend much time on that because, well, we need to move on. 
says, now what was God saying in, in Jehovah Jireh 1961? He says, what was God saying? He says, the seed of that one Abraham believed that was coming by faith. Seed, singular, though that come, through that come Isaac, and for, through Isaac come Christ, and through Christ come you and I. Abraham's seed, not seeds as many, but seed, the seed of promise. He says, now watch at Calvary when he was here on earth. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He says, but at Calvary, God tore him apart. Just like we've seen in Abraham where he said, take it, that heifer, take that ram, take that shegal, take it and tear them, divide them apart. You've got to kill them, rip them apart. But he says, but the birds don't do that. That represents something else. But the other ones, you've got to take this and divide them. I'm going to come down right in the midst of them. Amen. But now he says, now here he takes it forward to Calvary where he says, Calvary happened. What happened? God tore him apart at Calvary. He says, and he raised up the body and set it on his own right hand. And he sent the spirit that was in the body back down to the church to continue the works that it did in there. Amen. The same works that the Spirit did in the body, now he sent that back down. Though the body set at the right hand of God, the Spirit that did the working is the same Spirit, amen, he sent down on the day of Pentecost. He said, there's the confirmed covenant. That was God confirming the covenant. He couldn't confirm it to Abraham until Abraham made a sacrifice of atonement and he came down in the sacrifice. But there had to be our sacrifice, Jesus Christ, so that he could come in that sacrifice and confirm the covenant. Amen. So the church that goes to be the bride of Jesus Christ will be baptized into the same spirit with the same signs. The same wonders, the same Holy Spirit was upon him will be in the church. It's got to be exactly the same. Hallelujah. Not just a little bit different, not just a little bit the same, but he says it's got to be exactly. He said, Brother Andrew, we know these things. This is, yes, I know. This is to stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance. As we approach the communion table, it's deeper than just taking some bread and taking some wine. It's deeper than just what he did on the cross even. It goes deeper than that, that there was a confirmation of a covenant that he said, I will perform. It was a grace covenant with Abraham that it wasn't, if I do this and then you'll do that for me. It was, I'll do it and I'll do it and I'll do it. Amen. God was going to take care of both sides of the covenant. Well, he made it and it wasn't Abraham in the midst of it. Abraham was in a deep sleep, but God came down alone in the midst between the sacrifices because back then that's how a covenant was made. They would take an animal and they would divide it and the two parties would stand in between the two parts and they would make that covenant and then as they would speak it, they would take the, their part of the covenant and basically if we break this covenant, let us be as this dead animal. But God came down himself. He took the burning hell and the burning lamp. And he said, I'll take it all. I'm taking both sides. I've got you. It's not based on what you can do. 
Your worthiness to partake of communion is not based on your works. It's based on my blood and my blood alone that I died for you and I stood between heaven and hell and I took the part and I stood between it so you don't have to so that you can just be found in me and never come to condemnation ever again. The same spirit that was in Christ. As we know it is said in Romans chapter 8. If the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you. It will also quicken. It will quicken. It will bring to life your mortal body. Hallelujah. The same spirit. What was that spirit that was on him? It was a spirit that could rise up in a time of need and speak calmness to the storm. It was a spirit that could sit there in the face of a devil named Legion coming against him and not say a word. But that thing just come and begin to repent before that spirit. It recognized him. It wasn't just a man. It wasn't because there was a frail man standing there. It was because there was God within the man standing there that came down. And as he stood there, there came a man named Legion. 2,000 demons on him come and just said, why have you come to torment us before our time? He didn't preach a sermon. He didn't get all everybody worked up. He just came, stepped on shore. And the devil went, I got to get out of here. We know how it went. Or he come and he said, let us go into the swine. One word, go. That spirit. One word, go. That was enough. Why? Because that was the spirit of Jesus Christ. It was so much life. It was so much God. It could not die. <laughs> Hallelujah. That though they took and they rammed a spear and though the, the, the mortal life of the body seemed to be drained out and water and blood came out separately, but there was a greater battle going on. There was a greater war happening that was going on in hell at the time. Where now when he says as that spirit went down into hell, Satan couldn't hold it. Satan thought he finally had him, but he couldn't hold that, that, that spirit that was there. That was the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. It was that spirit that went down into hell and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and came back up again and rose again on the third day. It was that spirit that didn't just raise again on the third day, but ascended up into heaven and made an atonement for you and I. Why? Because we heard it, Brother Paul Dirksen was here, and I don't want to re-preach his service, but as he came and he went and he ascended up, why? He said, don't touch me yet. Why? Because I haven't gone before my Father. But it was that spirit that was so powerful. Why? Because it was all life. There was no death in it whatsoever. We read in Hebrews where it calls it the eternal spirit of God. By that eternal spirit, he was able to make a perpetuation for our sins. He was able to offer himself without spot to God. That's the same spirit that will be in, in the bride. Exactly dovetailing together. Because he took the body, the sacrifice, at his right hand. He sent the spirit back down. It's two parts to the covenant. So that when they come together, they perfectly dovetail again. So that when we see him, we shall know him. Because we'll be like him. It's the covenant confirmed. Because the bride and the bridegroom have to be and will be and are a perfect match. 
We read it in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5 says, And one of the elders said unto me, as John said there, Revelation 5, very common to us, but it says, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And behold, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, what sent forth into all the earth. There's John even looking at it in, in symbol form and revelations where he looks and he sees what? The lamb, the sacrifice, setting at the right hand of God. But he says, and he looked, he sees his seven eyes, seven horns, which were what? The seven spirits of God. It's the same spirit, the seven church ages that was sent out so that there'd be a bride in every church age that would perfectly dovetail that sacrifice so that when it comes back together again, it just fits perfectly. It's the covenant being put right back together. The one that was torn apart. Why? So that he could send back his spirit so he could take the sacrifice so that in the end when it comes back together. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He says, here's the secret of this. The word is in the bride. Like I've read this probably the last three, four times I've ministered. But it says, the word is in the bride as it was in Mary. This is the secret. Don't you love it when he tells you little secrets? It says, the bride has the mind of Christ. And she knows what he wants done with the word. How can that be? Because the, the covenant perfectly dovetails. Because it's him and it's him. And it's coming back together again so close at this end time where he says, she knows what he wants done with the word. She performs the command of the word in his name. For she has thus saith the Lord. Then the word is quickened by the spirit and it comes to pass. Like the seed that is planted and watered. It comes to full harvest Serving its purpose. He says in Jehovah Jireh, so when the Spirit comes down, it come down on Pentecost and 120 believers, and it baptized them with the body of Christ. And that same Spirit that was upon Christ was upon the church. It just continued on. Yeah. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 if you would. All right. We're doing okay? Second Corinthians chapter three and verse thirteen says, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. And the children of Israel could not steadfastly, steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. It's not done away by Christ. It's done away in Christ. To those that still to this day will even look upon what he did that day on Calvary and guess at it. 
not understand it, not recognize it. But he says, but those that are in Christ, the veil is done away with. To those that are a part of that spirit, that have been baptized by that spirit, to them they're understanding what the spirit is saying to the church. He says, and even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts, the Jews. He says, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. He says, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Hallelujah. There's not a lot of liberty when there's a veil there. Because you're always guessing at it. You're looking at it. You're hoping. You're, you're wondering what's beyond there. You're wishing you could go beyond it. But when the veil is taken away, there becomes liberty because it becomes revealed what's always been there all along. Amen. And the veil being taken away, we know when he came and when he, was, when he died, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. It was signifying that though before it was death to go in, amen, now it's death to stay out. Why? Because there's liberty where the Spirit of the Lord is. Because the veil has been taken away in that Spirit. He says, but we all with, an, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory unto glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Not, not a glass darkly. That's a different scripture. But through a glass. In other words, like through a mirror. We see him, and we begin to look, and we begin to recognize, I'm becoming that. Amen. Amen. He goes on in the same quote in Jehovah Jireh. He says, a little while the world seeth me no more, yet you shall see me. Yet you shall, for I'll be with you, even in you. Amen. The works that I do shall you do also. More than this shall you do, because I go to my Father. The same spirit calling Abraham's seed that through the seed of Abraham come Christ, that he would tear him apart, put a spirit of God upon his church and take the sacrifice home with him. Amen. He says that, that, that make the devil get going. Puts him in his place. Hallelujah. Why does it put him in his place? Because of Hebrews chapter 6, which says that by two immutable things. In which it is impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation, who, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast to that which endures into that which is within the veil. That there's a spirit that's in us that, 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 that is anchored within the veil, within Jesus Christ, to say it puts the devil in his place because we know I can't be lost anymore. All the things that, that you're afflicting and trying to put on the church, they don't mean anything anymore because there's something in me that's anchored beyond what he can know. Oh my, it's by grace, by God's promise, by the Holy Ghost, not what you are, but what your sacrifice is. It's not what we are, but it's because there's a sacrifice that sits on the right hand of God that perfectly dovetails the spirit that we've received. There's already an acceptance. There's already a recognition. There's already uh, an, a, an atonement that's been made for us. There's already, we've already been recognized in the beloved because he's there. Hallelujah. 
It would talk about it in Leviticus. It would talk about it in Exodus. It would talk about it anywhere where they would lay out the laws of sacrifices. Where it would talk about there has to be an identification of the worshiper with their sacrifice. And it would talk about how, if you look up and you look it up in your Bible, just type in, lay hands on. And they would talk about how they would have to lay their hands on the head of their sacrifice when the sacrifice was slain. There had to be an identification with that sacrifice, with the worshiper. It wasn't just good enough to say, well, here's something for me, and that's good enough. But there has to be an identification to say, no, this is the atonement for me. This I'm offering for my sin. This I'm offering for what I've done wrong. And all kinds of different sacrifices that you can lay on the Bible, all of them had to be, you had to put your hand upon the head to identify yourself with that sacrifice. It hasn't changed today. The sacrifice is different, but there has to be an identification with the sacrifice still that I am identified with Jesus Christ. Amen. And we know, and this is where we're getting to, where we have the ordinances that he's given us. The first one is water baptism, that it's an identification that he's changed me on the inside. The water doesn't change anyone. The water does not give anyone salvation, but rather it is because I've received my salvation by faith. Amen, that I believe that he has died for my sin and I'm identifying myself with his death, his burial, and his resurrection again. Amen, but he gave us two other ordinances which we'll also partake of tonight and that is the first one is communion. That that ordinance was not just there to say, well, it was just the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but it goes greater than that, but it was a recognition that the body of Christ, the sacrifice is sufficient It's sufficient for my healing. It's sufficient for my salvation. It's sufficient for all of my needs, even to this day. It's not just a representation of 2,000 years ago, but it's a representation that right now, the blood of Jesus is still on the mercy seat. And I'm identified by that blood on the mercy seat. I'm identified by the the, the, the lamb that is there in the midst of the throne because I've received the spirit here. And by that, I partake of the communion to say this is my identification. I am represented in the atonement. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's sufficient. It's sufficient for my peace. Sacrifice is still sufficient today. It's still there. He's still a perpetuation for my sin. He still got the blood of Jesus when I repent. He's still able to dip in his side and write pardon across the record of my sins. It still has the same power that it has ever had. The same power it had that when it was spilt and the skies went dark and the earth shook and all these things took place and people thought this is amazing, but it's still the more powerful, just as powerful today as it ever has been. The Lamb of God in the midst of the throne. Oh, Melchizedek would serve communion tonight. You are a royal priesthood. He's here again, the same spirit in God called man to serve communion to his people to say you're identified. When you're partaking of this, you're saying I'm identified 
with the atonement. I've got something in here that's anchored within the veil. He says, I know I'll be received on that day because the sacrifice was received. He says, but let every man examine himself. So let him eat the bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Oh my. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Why? Because if you're not worthy, if you don't have that representation, you're lying to yourself. If you don't haven't received the Spirit, you're saying I'm identified when I'm not. He said, many will come in that day and said, have not I done many mighty works? Have not I cast out devil? And he said, depart from me. I never even knew you. What makes us worthy? Because he was worthy. Because he died. Because I'm represented in that. And if I'm not represented in that, I, I ought not to be partaking. But if I've been represented, that's why we say, wait till you've been baptized. Wait till you've identified yourself with that death, that burial, that resurrection. Then come and partake. Because then you've come and you said, Lord, I'm identifying myself. I believe it's communion with God. Oh, I'm identified to be in communion with the Lamb of God. That he's brought me into fellowship with God again. Amen. Hallelujah. There's another ordinance of foot washing. Is this okay? All right. I'm already over time. Forgive me. We'll just close on this. Where Jesus said, and he's, as he talks about it in John chapter 13, and we'll just read verse 7 and 8. It says, And Jesus said unto them, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Peter looked at it the way a lot of us sometimes look at it carnally. Nobody, no man goes about foot washing. I just can't wait to wash another man's feet. You with me? There's nothing naturally and carnally that pushes someone to do that. But there's something on the inside. There's something deep down on the inside. He says, but it's not about my brother or me or my sister or this. It's about Christ. It's about that this is his feet. This is me humbling myself to obedience to the word of God. He's saying, Lord, humble me. Help me just to be the lowest of servants. That whatever you need me to be, that I'm willing to do because it's an ordinance it's a representation of something spiritual. Amen. It's not just a natural thing. It's an ordinance to say, I'm in obedience to the word of God. That Jesus Christ was in obedience to the word even unto death. Are we in obedience to the word to say, Lord, whatever it is, let me just take the most humble place. Let me be the foot wash flunky. Allow me to wash your feet, Lord Jesus. When others wouldn't at Simon's house, let me be the one. And Lord, if I can't wash your feet, let me wash your son's feet. Let me wash your daughter's feet. Let me do it because, Lord, if I don't, I don't have a part in you. 
But I desire to do the work of the Lord, to be about his business, to be about the same thing. Oh, my. You love him? Amen. Amen. I'm not going to take any more time. I'll just close it right there. Brother Ed, if you come, and the musicians come. Amen. The Bible would say, as our brother Andrew was talking about the covenant, it's in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He hath made him sin for us that who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a covenant. What are we doing tonight? We're remembering the part that he took for us. And as we remember that, he will also remember our identification. We're laying our hands on him. Tonight when you come, you remember that that body was broken for you. You remember the blood that was spilt for you. Amen. It's our identification. It's as long as we remember it, as long as we show the Lord's death till he come, we are. He's, he's honoring that. Amen. Do you love him tonight? Amen. Let's just sing grace, grace, God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, God's Say